Hello and welcome to Dinosaur Man News and Reviews. I'm Andy Hughes. I'm here with the intrepid explorer, Alex Hudson. This is not the uncharted movie that has been either pushed back or moved up a week, I think. Are you not the Nathan Drake So it means it's still coming out never, but it's just coming out a week earlier or later than never. Are you not the Nathan Drake of this podcast? Um, I would say no. So fun thing about um, the Uncharted movie. Mm. Did you hear the news that Tom Holland has already said he went too hard? Like... He's already disappointed with his performance in it because he went in it too much. Hey, I'm not going to be disappointed because I ain't seeing that movie anyway. It's never coming out, so it doesn't matter. It's going to be so fun. Well, it will be so fun, and I'm glad that you enjoy it when it will come out. I don't know if I want to see it. <laughs> well, my big worry is you've obviously got three of the games, maybe four of the games still unplayed. Yeah, I've played In fact, one. You haven't, have you finished one? I finished number one. Okay. Because the I remember very, you got to one bit and you said you didn't like it because it was too cover shootery. That happens a lot of the game. Um, mm. But the very end boss, kind of boss, it's just a man with a gun. Uh-huh. Um, I didn't to, mean to yawn into the mic there, sorry. <laughs> you have to cover between, jump between cover and then hit a button press in time. Mm-hmm. And I failed like 20 times and I was like, I don't know if I'll ever beat this guy. Um, like It's very easy what you're asking me to do. Yeah, but I don't know if I'm ever going to do it, and I might just abandon. It's game. interesting that I think a lot of um, a lot of video games, but let's say particularly with with reference to Uncharted, seems to be like a a, a gladiator thing. Mm. The the TV show Gladiators. Okay. Like it feels like you've got to oh you got to dodge out of here and then hit a button, <laughs> and then you've got to get back before Wolf catches you. I thought you meant like it's because he could he takes a lot of pain, like mm. he gets shot a lot. Yeah. Because the, the interesting thing about Uncharted... Okay, nobody, please tell me the interesting thing about Uncharted. Nobody really cares about this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Okay, is this that, is a t- t- like 12 or 15-year-old game series yes. at this point. But so people, Hot take coming up. So Nathan Drake gets shot a lot in that game, right? Spoiler alert. But they've confirmed that he actually never gets shot. His health bar is his look meter, and actually like one shot would kill him. Jesus. Right? Yeah. Um. So it's just like when you get shot and when you get hit and when you're basically getting killed, pretty much, it's basically your luck running out until that fatal shot. Yeah. Um, which I think is a much more interesting way to look at it than to go, oh, this guy's a bullet sponge. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. You it's know. a luck meter. That's how they explained it, yeah. Mm. It so looks a lot like a health bar. <laughs> can you can you heal yourself on that game? You heal over time. So it's one of those okay, where so you it, stand still, it kind okay. of your health bar builds back up. So everyone's luck is rechargeable. Is that what they're saying? Yeah. Or that just his is. If yeah, a regular I mean, person tries, okay. So no is he holding a with. horseshoe during the entirety of the game? And a rabbit's foot. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the other thing? Oh, he doesn't walk under any ladders. He's specific about that, and he hops when he goes over three cracks. I feel like I'm thinking about um, three drains. Three drains, isn't it? Uh, what three drains? Yeah, step on three consecutive drains is bad luck. Okay. Um, These to be somebody we went to university with, right? Yeah. Who... You can name and shame if you want to. <laughs> no, it's fine. Believe, All right, well, I demand you tell me off pod because I'm now interested. Believed in that so much. Yeah. That we'd be walking down the street. And just, oh, I figure I know who it is. She'd stand on free drains. Oh, no, I don't. And then she'd spin in free circles afterwards <laughs> to reverse the look. And then we'd carry on walking. But, like... She never avoided the drains. She just always knew that she'd stepped on them. So regularly we'd walk and she'd just start spinning in a circle. Are we close friends with her? 
No, we got them from at uni. We don't speak to them now. Okay. She's a fucking moron. <laughs> Do you think she listens? Probably not. <laughs> um, I mean, look, superstitions are fine. Yep. You heard it here first, folks. What's superstitions superstition? are fine. My biggest superstition? Um, I don't really have any. I don't do anything because I think it gives me good luck or anything. But do you have any kind of things that are habitual now that, like, when you go to do something, you have to do something in advance of it because it's just something that you do? Does that make sense? Yeah, like, when I go to bed, I cry before I go in, yeah. Just so you know that you'll have a good night's sleep. Well, that's not the reason. the demons won't get you. That's not the reason I do it. I think the reason I do it is sadness. It is the sad out. Mm -hmm. So the demons can't get you. Well, it means I'm a better better night's sleep ahead if I'm lighter. Mm -hmm. Tears weigh heavier than blood. That sounds like an amazing album title. Mm. Tears are heavier than blood. Evanescence definitely would have released that as an album. What is it? Blood is thicker than water, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. that's about basically family is better than water. Yeah, I had but family so, can't hydrate you. At uni, I wrote a script, um, and I wrote all the script, and I hadn't got a title, and I'm pretty sure the title of it in the end was um, "Blood Is Thicker." Mm. Um, and literally, it's not because it was a good title; it's literally because I had to hand it in and went, "I haven't got a title, and this is about family." Yeah, and I know what you're thinking, you millennials. We don't mean T H I C C. We mean... No, we don't. That's exactly what, what? I meant. Yeah, I invented thick. <laughs> Blood has a bigger butt than I, water. I also invented Robin Fick. Um, but yeah. Mm. So that's something that I did. Um, okay. But this is a podcast where we don't talk about university. Mm. We don't talk about superstition. We don't talk about university. We talk about... No. We are the only podcast in the world that talks news and reviews. This week, we're going to focus... 100% on- right. This week, we're going to focus on movie news and reviews, because okay. I think that's probably for this week, maybe? For, for just this week, though. Yeah. You promised this is a one-week excursion into the movie news. Exactly. Um, and as the only podcast for talks, movie news and reviews, we will be reviewing... Lots of stuff. We got a lot. Um, okay, so Godzilla vs. Kong is the big one. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what they're calling it. <laughs> it's called Godzilla vs. Kong, colon, the big one. Um, we have also got uh, The Night, we've got Slacks, we've got Violation, we have Assassins, we have uh, a couple more as well, Wrong Turn. I'm pretty and... sure you added another two since the last time you told me you'd watch stuff. <laughs> Wrong Despite Turn. saying, I'm not going to watch any more. You're going to talk about Harley Quinn TV series, you're going to talk about Invincible. Uh, I think that's everything. Yeah, you'll see it in the title of the episode, don't worry guys. If there's anything you missed there... Uh, I guarantee they're not all going to fit in the title. <laughs> they will. The title is... Um, I think it, I think the title is unlimited. <laughs> I think. There was one week where I just gave up on writing it. I just put, and more. <laughs> but that was more out of laziness than it was out of a limitation by a website. Should we do news? Yes. The trench is cancelled. Mm. Um, so this is... We're now going into movie, movie TV news, yeah? They've listened to the show is, before. Is the trend of They've the- listened to the show before. Um, so this is actually the only article that I didn't bring up ahead of time, so I should probably have done that. So the trench uh, is the James Wan horror movie based off the creatures in Aquaman. Um, yeah, James Wan was producing or exec producing a horror-themed spin-off of Aquaman called The Trench based on the creatures from it. Uh, which has been cancelled along with Ava, Ava DuVernay's New Gods. 
Um, it's part of our DC slate. Some legacy development titles, including New Gods and the Trench, will not be moving forward, Warner Brothers and DC said in a statement. We thank our partners, Ava DuVernay, Tom King, James Wan, and Peter Safran for their time and collaboration during this process, and we look forward to our continued partnership with them on other DC stories. The projects will remain in their skillful hands if they were to move forward in the future. Um, DuVernay is currently working on a DC series called Naomi, uh, for the CW, mm-hmm. and obviously um, James Wan is currently in development of Aquaman two. Uh, so there are projects that they're still involved in currently. So, like, I think if I remember rightly, you were never excited for the trench. No, I thought it was a terrible idea. And I think it was one of those things of just being like, "Oh, Aquaman has just made so much money. How do we?" Yeah, there was a week where they decided there was going to be three spin-off movies from Aquaman, and then they cancelled two of them within two weeks, and then they <laughs> left the trench as the only one they actually wanted to go with. And also, like, a horror-based... Like, a horror-based superhero property, I think we spoke about before, saying it would be interesting to see somebody do that properly. Mm-hmm. Like, the New Mutants potentially looked like it potentially could do that, and then never did. Mm-hmm. Um, so could a horror-based superhero movie work? And James Wan's probably the person to to give that money to. You know, it's had to make blockbuster horror. Um, but also, it does seem like an idea where I'm like, yeah, but what what can you actually do with that? Yeah. Um, the DuVernay New Gods one's interesting, because I, had, I hadn't heard much about that mm-hmm. um, since it was... Well, that was the one that was much further down the line, because that yeah. one had actually been written and about to go into production this year. Whereas the trench uh, was always considered by Warner Brothers as being an extraneous sequel, uh, an extraneous spin-off that didn't have any need to come out. So, is there any kind of um, confirmation on the rumors I read on Twitter, the hotbed of news, mm. like the place that you can only go for substantiated fact that the reason New Gods was cancelled was because Darkseid was supposed to appear in it. And they couldn't have that being in that and also Zack Snyder's Justice League because of a conflict of films. Well, here, so the here's the... here's the two Jokers in like two years. Here's the actual thing, is that New Gods, which would have been a sprawling tale, was complicated by the fact that his villain Darkseid has just appeared as a major foil in Zack Snyder's Justice League and there was a desire to have space between the latter and any new appearances. So except for the Batman, which is set in an alternate Earth known to geeks as Earth 2... Uh, DC is plotting all of its films and shows to share the same universe still Uh, key to setting up its new status quo will be The Flash in November 2022 Mm. yeah right which will tackle the multiverse and is said to lend clarity to the future of the Justice League with multiple Batmen as well as Supergirl appearing other projects due on the slate are Black Adam in 2022 uh, Shazam Fury of the Gods 2023 Mm as well as Warner's Blue Beetle, Batgirl, Supergirl, Green Lantern Corps, and Static Shock, (laughs) which are all currently on there. Uh, Zatanna and a third Wonder Woman are also in development. Um, Zatanna is potentially being done by Emerald Fennel. And uh, the upcoming Superman film we talked about a couple of weeks ago, which J.J. Abrams is producing. Mm -hmm. Um, But all of those are due to exist in the same universe... Which is Whereas a shame. the Batman stands alone as a yeah uh, alternate thing, 
which is a shame because I think we spoke before about saying like maybe DC should just have this thing where each property is separate and they have them all in their own kind of world doing their own thing. Um, but we'll see how that works out. But they're still wanting to make as much money as possible and by doing crossovers, that's going to give them the possibility of doing that. They're not going to be able to do crossovers if they all exist in different universes, are they? That's where you got the Flash. His movies are always Yeah, just, exactly. I'm going to pull so, this guy from here and this guy from here. So the Flash can link them all together. But that remember, the Flash is the first movie of these. Mm. The first of these new slate of movies. Well, and then all the others are going to be retconned to fit into whatever happens in the Flash when it doesn't that. come out. Yeah. <laughs> fucking dumb fucking company. <laughs> all right. Um... What else wow, have we Mr. got? Mr. Warner Brothers, it's so nice to see you here. <laughs> he can, he's not welcome in this house. Um, so, Disney have announced that Cruella, uh, so Cruella and Black Widow will be simultaneously in theatres and on Disney Plus with Premier Access, uh, which is the $30 option, uh, which is a purchase extra for subscribers. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's going to be in most Disney Plus markets on Friday, the, uh, Friday, May 28th for Cruella and Friday, July 9th. Uh, for Black Widow. Uh, it's also shifted a bunch of release dates for other films as part of that move. Um, so, Raya and the Last Dragon was the last film that they did in this fashion, um, which had a box office of $23.4 million in the first three weekends. I think that's just domestic, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, so in the morning's press release, they dis- they declared that that movie was a success for them without ever backing the claim up with numbers. But no one's actually releasing any figures officially for any streaming stuff at the moment. Um, Cinemark refused to play Raya given Disney's deal with them. Um, so there may have been some kind of uh, depressed box office because of that, I guess. Um, but my best guess is that, I mean, so, Cruella is a film where I feel like there's probably still an audience for it and we might be completely out of touch yeah. with what that what that film is trying to do. So I'm not going to sort of weigh in too much on that. Um, Black Widow is the more interesting example because obviously it's a, you know, proper MCU mm-hmm. property and... <coughs> oh, oh. Um, sorry, I've just been poisoned by Warner Brother. <laughs> They got you. They heard what you were saying. Jesus, um, get out of here, Warner yeah, Brothers. Yeah, so it's, it's more of a it's more of an interesting one there because that's one where you feel like you've got a relative understanding of how well that should do. It's slightly tempered because it's yeah. so different to uh, certainly the recent D, uh, Marvel movies <laughs> in in terms of what it's trying to do. Yeah, I suppose the the interesting thing about this always has been is whether one of these kind of films would go to a premiere on demand because I think it's what they have been trying to avoid for so long since like they started doing these. The reason that um I think all the Marvel stuff got pushed back is because they didn't really want to do it because, you know, Marvel movies make close to a billion every time. Uh, mm-hmm. like they make these huge amounts of money. Do you lose a lot? And I think this is a little bit of them going, Well we need to, we've started that Marvel machine going when we started these Disney Plus shows there is a timeline we have to follow. It has to come out at some point, so we'll put it out. But also, is there actually an opportunity because of what we've seen from Raya and what we saw from what was the other one they did? Um, 
Mulan. Mulan. Like, are we seeing enough of a figure and enough of a number here to go, actually, we're still going to make money. It's not as much, but we'll still make enough money to justify it. Yeah, the the big differential here is that with Disney Plus Premier Access, or whatever they call it, um, it's 100% of the revenue of that that they're Mm -hmm. keeping. So that's that's obviously more attractive to the studio as as it basically means that they can get that one so you know you sell 1 million um premier access things to cruella you get 30 million dollars yeah. back rather than if you sell a million tickets for cruella you're getting maybe 15 million back mm-hmm. so it kind of feels like for them for the current time until things are back open in the same way until you've got 100% capacity attendance in theatres it makes it probably very difficult to argue the point that oh well a wide cinematic release exclusive cinematic release is the best way forward because actually it probably is a case that there is more money to be made by doing Disney Plus over a, a solely theatrical release and this is why obviously um They've they've come into a bit of criticism for this because theatre chains are saying, well, you know, we're at a time where we're starting to reopen and yet we're being told that these big things are being taken mm-hmm. away from us. It's not just them. Warner Brothers have been at it as well. Obviously, that's well documented. Um, Paramount have also got this, um, this move to Paramount Plus that's going to be happening 45 days after initial release. So it, it does feel like there is going to be a seed change for at least the next couple of years where I think we're going to see these studios that do have streaming services that they've got attached to them in one form or another, they can then utilize those in a way that generates the maximum possible revenue yeah. for them. Like Warner's is slightly different at the moment because HBO Max, they're not charging an extra as no. far as I know for any of the ones that have been announced as um, day and date for them so I'm kind of intrigued by that because I don't know if that's just going to be a case of okay for this year we're going to release all of these and you're not going to have to pay any extra for them but then maybe going forward from this year they would instigate some kind of mm-hmm. premium service um, so maybe that's more a case of just getting subscribers in the door but Certainly with Disney, it's not a case of they need the subscribers. They've got a lot of subscribers already to Disney+. Plus. It's just now a case of they're probably looking at this and going, you know, these are... Okay, Cruella's not as expensive a movie, I'm presuming, but certainly Black Widow is an expensive movie. Yeah, We want to try and get back as much as possible, and this is our best chance of doing it, unless we were faced with, you know, 4,500 theatres in the U.S., all showing our movie 100% capacity, mm. in which case, that way, it's going to break a billion. Um, did you see the new Black Widow trailer? Yeah, I did. I didn't. Well, was it any good? I I didn't like it, but then again... Uh, look, I'm not going to go and see this movie anyway, um, because I've got zero interest in the property. Um, but what I found interesting was that the prior... I think the prior trailer did a better job of trying to sell it as something different, Mm -hmm. whereas this just feels so generically Marvel that I just went, oh, well, there is nothing for me here. And so the more I'm seeing of this movie, the less I'm interested in it. 
I wasn't going to see it anyway, but this has cemented my fact of like, but it's not going to get me on board. But I saw it basically because I knew you hadn't. Well, I decided I'm not because going you're to. actually interested in going to see it. A bit like um, Godzilla Kong, which we'll talk about later. Um, I watched the first trailer and then didn't watch any of the others mm. because I kind of went, okay, I know what I'm getting now. Like I like a trailer to get a taste. But I'm trying to watch less trailers now. Yeah. Um, because it's just then- difficult now that we're at home all the time. I think there's always yeah. this. I think there's, it's harder to avoid them in a way that when I when we were going to the cinema more regularly, it was a case of I would watch maybe one trailer if I was interested in the thing. Maybe I wouldn't watch anything if I could mm. avoid it. And then now I think it's just been a case of with combined with doing the podcast, but also just being at home all the time. It's almost impossible to avoid <laughs> these things. Um, they just keep loading up and when I turn the Xbox on, they're like, hey, here's a trailer. Just quickly on Disney, Luca, which is coming out in the summer. That will be going in territories where Disney Plus is available. That will be going directly to Disney Plus in the same way that Soul did. So that will be included with subscription. That won't be an additional extra. And it will be getting a cinematic release where Disney Plus is not currently available. Um, Also, um, just real briefly. So in the UK and I think maybe US, the Sydney World chain and the group that own it, made a deal with Warner Brothers yes. to basically have exclusive rights to show their films for four weeks before going on to... So they've got a similar setup to the one that... Was it Universal struck with someone? Was it Universal and AMC maybe Regal struck? Maybe. Um, but basically there's going to be a 45-day period where they will not be able to then put them on premium VOD sites... Mm-hmm. Um, and they will be in cinemas for that time. Uh, so this covers Cineworld, it covers Regal, which is Cineworld's chain in the US, and therefore it also covers Picture House, I guess, because they're also owned by Cineworld. Yeah. Um, I don't know how monumental this news is going to be going forward, but it's, you know, we're, we're at a point now where we are... I think we're just about 40 days away from uh, reopening here in the UK. Um, certainly that seems to be, unless something drastic yeah. is to change, cinemas should be reopening at that point. Um, and Cineworld have definitely come out of this saying, well, we're going to reopen as strongly as we can because we feel like it's important that we do it, mainly because they've had so many financial issues mm-hmm. in the last year that I think they need to get this open as a matter of prime priority now. And they'll be more pissed off than most about the fact <laughs> that things like Cruella and things yeah. like... Because, you know, those are things that would be getting 20 showings a day in mm-hmm. big multiplexes. And I think... You know, the, the independent cinemas that show one of those big blockbusters, sure, they'll suffer, but they don't make their money. You know, their, their bread and butter is on the stuff that Cineworld aren't showing. Yeah. Cineworld might now have to show some of the stuff they wouldn't normally have shown, like they did last summer when they reopened because nothing was getting released. And you saw these small releases get released in five, six hundred seater cinemas. <laughs> and you think, this is not a normal situation. Yeah, I think it's all going to be very interesting over the next couple of years to see how this time has affected how cinemas work yeah. going forwards. Um, what else do you got for me? Uh, Netflix have, I mean, they've just basically plonked their dick on the table and said, here's $450 million for <laughs> Knives Out 2 and 3. And, the, you know, the whole cinema world has gone crazy. Um, 
So, yeah, Netflix have reportedly uh, agreed a deal to make two sequels to uh, Ryan Johnson's Knives Out, which came out in 2019. Which is great news, because I love that film. And I thought it was fine. And Ryan Johnson will be continuing to direct that series, along with Daniel Craig reprising his role. Um, So the sequels have both been written already, um, Mm -hmm. and apparently were written at the time of the initial release of Knives Out 1. So. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he said at that point, didn't he, he had sequels ready. Mm. Um, but yeah, apparently the deal is worth north of $400 million, making it one of the biggest streamer movie deals in history. Um, so there was a discrete auction that went on between three streamers, uh, Apple and Amazon were the other two that were involved, yeah. and Netflix decided to dump $450 million down on the table. Um, so... You know they're in a position where they can. To be fair, all mm-hmm. three companies could. Yeah. Um, but I think, particularly with Amazon, they have never necessarily. You saw, I think, coming to America was about 120 million, and that was mm-hmm. a record for them. And I don't think they've ever been in the business of trying to sort of um, stamp down and say, "Hey, we've got all this money that we're going to drop on a big thing." Um, they've much preferred, you know, things like. Um, Manchester by the Sea, I think, was a um, Amazon production and things like that. So I think they've they've found a niche that they're working within, and then they'll occasionally work outside that. But I think if it wasn't for the pandemic, you know, coming to America would have been released in yeah. cinemas by Paramount. Whereas, whatever, Apple's just a weird one where I don't know if they <laughs> currently know what their the what their approach is, is going to be. And it's interesting in that they've been going for what eighteen months now, just over. And no one really understands what they what their operating model is because you know like a greyhound was one they picked up last yep. year, cherry, and they picked that up. They picked up greyhound for a decent fee. I'm pretty sure. I think it was sixty or seventy million. Um, cherry may have been always theirs, I think, but I don't know. But it kind of feels like they're one where you're just going. I think they just make a decision on a deal by deal basis. They yeah. you know they just look at it and go, yeah, we'll take this one. So yeah, you, this Timberlake one will do that. So you say that the cinematic world went crazy. Yeah. What do you mean by that? So, I mean, the, the Twitter sphere was a buzz because it's a huge amount for a streamer to <laughs> drop on a existing property. I mean, it's a huge amount for a streamer to drop on anything, you know. And it's really only Netflix who would be capable of doing something like that where they just go, well, here's $450 yeah. million for two films that we, you know... I don't know if that will affect their subscriber base anywhere near as much as... But then again, it's now a case of... Have they now reached the amount of subscribers they need? Have they got the subscriber base and therefore now they're just making stuff that the subscribers will keep them there? Yeah, I I think that that might be it. You know, things that can justify them increasing their price, uh, things that can justify, you know, subscribers retaining their subscription. It's, yeah, it's kind of interesting. Um... Yeah, I think the only the only real challenger to Netflix at the moment their dominance is probably Disney Plus in terms of variety that's on there and the amount that people want to see. Mm. Like, I'm happy because it means that I'm getting more Knives Out. I like that film. I think I really like Daniel Craig in it. Um, I quite like a murder mystery and I'm happy to see more of this. So mm. I'm happy. It's not my money that's being spent. Spend it all you want, Netflix. Sure. Um... Well, technically, it probably is my money as I have Netflix. So, 
I own Knives Out is what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, next thing, next thing, next thing. What else? Trailers. A lot of trailers this couple of weeks. Um, so, what trailers do we have? Well, Space Jam A New Legacy. Space Jam. Or as we're calling it, Ready Player Basketball. <laughs> uh, the whole internet has now caught on to this because of that scene. Yes. It's so unbelievable. This is the sequel to Space Jam from 1996, I want to say. Yeah, I'd hazard a guess that that's probably right. Um. 1996, of course. Well, I'm, I'm never good at that game, so I'm delighted with myself. Mm-hmm. Um, which follows the same lines, um, but instead of Michael Jordan, it's now LeBron James, who basically goes into a digital world and is forced to play a game of basketball against um, Don Cheadle's King of the Internet or something like that. Um, but is forced to play with the Looney Tunes because they're the losers mm-hmm. um, against a team of basketballers that have probably had their powers stolen by Don Cheadle. Um, it looks much more of the same. It yeah. has one scene where Warner Brothers, they love doing this, just go, here are all of our properties, let's put them into one thing. Yeah, Um. so there was, I'm trying to find it again, but I think they've just sort of, uh, they've kind of squashed it down into just things from these different things. Yeah. But there was a breakdown of sort of every single character that appeared in the background of that basketball tournament i mean you've got some weird stuff in there yeah like the droogs from clockwork orange are in there (laughs) uh mama fratelli from goonies is in there and obviously the white walkers are there (laughs) the the iron giant crushing stuff because remember how the iron giant didn't want to be used as a weapon and then every time we see him afterwards is just a weapon yeah iron giant um there was King i think Kong. two different penguins uh there was riddler joker jack nicholson's joker yeah so uh, also, batman just everything they can stuff from mad max because people love seeing stuff is this what TV? Is this what culture is now? Everyone wants to think they can pause and go. Do you remember oh, from the? Do you remember from olden days? Look, there's so and so from so and so. Yeah, people love that. I mean, look, this, what's a film if it can't be paused? Right. So this film was made for you. We know well, that. I like this, like because uh-huh. I, right, I love Space Jam. Mm-hmm. Still love Space Jam. I still think it's incredibly fun. I think it's one of the films that takes me right back to childhood, and I remember it first coming out been obsessed with it i look at this one i'm like hey how many kids do you think still know looney tunes hey they're probably still popular with kids are they when was the last time you watched kids tv you don't know if they're still on always <laughs> because i like to pause it and go oh is that a thing from that thing yeah but how many kids like lebron james <laughs> millions true that's your I, way in i did see somebody post- do you remember that it wasn't a case of, oh, yeah, everyone loves Bugs Bunny in the 90s. It was everyone, everyone loves Michael, Michael Jordan. Jordan. I did see somebody... No post. one was there for Daffy Duck. I was. I was there for Tasmanian going, lemony fish. Um, <laughs> I saw a tweet that said, um, something along the lines of, the be- the most uh, realistic update to this film is they've put LeBron James in a mansion instead of the like two-down two house that Michael Jordan was in. Mm-hmm. Like they know that like he's got the money. Yeah. Um, it could be fun. It did seem quite derivative of the first. Uh, uh, sorry, what did you expect? Do you expect Space Jam Two: A New Legacy yeah. to be like? Okay, now they're playing baseball. <laughs> oh, no. 
I love the fact they're still playing basketball because it's still a sport that I only don't understand. What is this sport I only associate with Space Jam? Yeah. Um, you actually were astounded to find out that it's a sport that exists outside of Space Jam. I was like, but where are the monsters? Uh, but yes, I am probably going to see this. But I, of course you will. But you're a sucker. Well, somebody's got to. I'm sure some people will. As soon as it doesn't you, mean one of us has to. No, it does. Not every film has to have seeing one of us as, see it. Seeing as you've agreed We've to proven watch, that the last five years. Seeing as you've agreed to watch Spiral from the Book of Sports. We'll, we'll, we'll Sports. get onto it in just a second. Because you've said you're definitely watching that, I will take this. It's fine. Okay. <laughs> so Spiral from the Book of Saw looks nonsense and I'm not going to see it. You're definitely seeing it. Um, it just looks like a Saw movie. Yeah, when it's from, from the Book of Saw, but then it is just a Saw movie. Yeah, like, I mean... The, the face b- traps on there still? I really I really like the term, the Book of Saw. Like it's a uh, testament in the Bible. <laughs> it is. It's, it's after Matthew. <laughs> yeah, it's between Matthew and Mark. It's Matthew saw Mark. Um, and and Jesus went. Well, hang on. And maybe saw the it bear is, trap that was clasped around Judas's mouth. Maybe it's the book of John. John Kramer, Jigsaw. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you know, it looks like it's probably just going to be another Saw movie, except this time it's more focused on the detectives. But the thing is, a lot of the sequels were sort of certainly split narratives between the detectives yeah. trying to find these things out. So it's like, it's not breaking any new ground. And from the it way, is. you know, obviously there was this excitement when it was first announced. And I think that first, yeah, that teaser trailer that mm. came out last year was like, oh, well, maybe it's going to be like seven. But <sighs> also it is. it's like, well, I don't think it is. And I think it's going to be more like Saw 7, <laughs> which has already happened. It was called Jigsaw. But... I don't really understand what this is. I, I don't understand its unique hook because it just looks like another Saw movie to me. What if I tried to convince you that... Except they've put the pig head on the puppet this time. I guess. The pig head's on everything. There's well, like the four pi- pig heads. The pig I was head's watching a it big like, thing of it. Pause but... this trailer. That's a pig head. I remember that. Um, but yeah, I mean, who who fucking knows? Um, but in the other ones, you didn't have Samuel L. Jackson in some kind of weird bear trap on all of his limbs. Yeah, true. But you did have someone else in that bear trap. You didn't have usually. you didn't have Chris Rock just shouting lines like a police officer, like "How can I trust no, these you, people?" You did have Donnie Wahlberg shouting those lines, mm, but that wasn't Chris Rock. No, it's that's a good point. Chris Rock and Donnie Wahlberg are different people. Mm-hmm. I call him Chris Walk. You did call him Chris Walk. Because <laughs> um, I was gearing up for a Wahlberg. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, this just looks like another Saw movie. I probably won't see it. Mm. It's from the book of Saw. It's not. Okay, it's fine. not a Saw. I see what you're saying, but that's you think like, it's a Saw movie. But even though there is a bit where Chris Rock is that's like saying Black to, Widow from the book of Marvel. Maybe that's what they should be called. It looks exactly. It looks exactly like another Marvel movie, though. Like even though Chris Rock has his hand handcuffed to a radiator with a saw in his hand, like the first Saw, I, it's from the book of Saw. I don't think he's going to have to saw not, off his hand. By the way, I think he's going to have to saw off the pipe. Why don't you think of that, dummies? <laughs> Don't they try? Yeah, they definitely sort through the handcuff. Surely. Yeah, I think that's the look. We're not here to get into what. Well, first, you have to get the saw from behind your eye. (laughs) That is true. It's buried behind your eye, and you have to dig it out. Um, Look, so I can't wait for you to see it and tell me how good it is. Uh, I won't be watching it. (laughs) 
final trailer this week. Uh, two trailers, technically, um, for yes. the same film. Because, hey. Why not? We needed two of them within the space of seven days, I mm-hmm. think. Well, one. Ring style. Saw style. <laughs> Ring from the Book of Saw. Uh, not every horror property is from the Book of Saw. Stop, stop trying to make the Book of Saw a thing. <laughs> Um, it was bad enough when Twisted Pictures or whatever it's called. We're trying to do it. Uh, right, so, <laughs> The Suicide Squad. This is the James Gunn, I guess, reboot. Until they give us a better term for it's, it. It's not. It's a continuation. Sorry, yes. It, it, I think it's actually The Suicide Squad from the Book of Saw. <laughs> but, so somebody actually tweeted at James Gunn saying, do you need to have watched... David Ayer's Suicide Squad to understand this, and he said no. David Ayer's cut of Suicide Squad. No, the 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 oh. studio, the studio, you know, massacre that is Suicide Squad. Oh, these fat cats at City Hall not letting us see David Ayer's Get Suicide Squad. Get out of here, Warner Brothers. Yeah, so this had two trailers: one which was a red band, and then one which was a edited one, which was a theatrical one. Yeah, I think for, it was for the theaters, but then they. Weirdly, they went. It's a theater exclusive, but then put it out in line. Well, it was it was premiered a day earlier in theaters, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, because there was buzz about it online before they dropped it and saying the new Suicide Squad trailer is mm-hmm. insane. And then everyone was like, "But there isn't a new one." And then James Gunn went, "Ah ah ah!" From the Book of Saw, here comes the Suicide Squad, and this time they don't swear in the trailer. So, um, yeah, this is his version of it. It's R rated. It's some of the old characters are back, um, a lot of new characters, and they've got to go fighting yes. the jungle. Um, We've talked about it before, yeah, I'm sure. I think the first trailer, I, like the Red Band trailer, I didn't really like. Mm-hmm. I thought it had its moments. Like I think there's a really nice kind of shot with like King Shark that's quite cinematic. Um, and there's a couple of like lines in there that I'm like, okay, I like that. But it seemed like something that was trying too hard. Mm-hmm. Um and the flow was all wrong. I quite like the fact that Starro appears because why not? Like it's very James Gunn to have that. Mm-hmm. The second trade of the theatrical one, yeah. I really liked. Okay, I went okay. This has more of a style to it. It mm-hmm. seems like it has more. It's funnier than you know trying to force red band lines into a trailer to show that you know you're a, you're a bit edgy and you're a bit more mm. adult. I think the second trailer actually felt more like a trailer. And made me want to actually see this film. Like the first one, I was like, mm, not that. Hard, so, will mate. you demand the PG thirteen cut of Suicide Squad? Release the Warner Brothers cut. <laughs> um, but you oh know. man, there's going to be a lot of people on Twitter very angry at you. <laughs> <laughs> the first man who's ever been on Warner Brothers side. I don't know. I did say I think on the live stream we talk of you, but I prefer Justice Justice League. You did, you did say Justice you'd rather League. watch Justice League. Um. I'm not here to make friends. But yeah, that second trailer I think is is a much better constructed trailer. Um, and I think there's a very funny line by John Cena in there. I think you are, is the one where he's like, uh, oh, yes, I love okay. justice and I'll kill... That, I don't that's care in the first one though as well, isn't it? I don't think it is, no. Oh, there's a variation on it then because he says, there's, he said, I will kill an entire village if it means that I will be able to keep peace or something yeah. in the first trailer. Uh, something like that, but I... I like the way it's delivered okay. in the second one. I like the one. The I think he's going to say it ten times in the movie. Um, but yeah, so I think you're going to. I'm not, not like going to see this film. Is what's um, going to happen. But that's cool. But that's fine. I thought both of these trailers were very music video-y mm-hmm. 
in the same way that the trailers for the first Suicide Squad were very music video-y. And it did absolutely nothing to entice me because I was like, well, I've been burned yeah. that time. I'm not going to get burned again. I also have this weird thing now where I feel like I'm now at my limit with um, sort of James Gunn style snark being the... <laughs> um, like, it feels like movies at the moment, there's certainly big tentpole superhero-y movies can be either one of two things. They can either be, you know, uh, a Marvel thing that's just fairly you know you know what you're getting it's by the numbers but it gets the job done mm. in the way that the people want it done or you get this deadpool guardians of the galaxy 2 you know feeling of like oh we're all, we're all a little bit uh, on edge around here because uh they're the cookie <laughs> things aren't quite that normal around here guys i yeah and i get that there's a lot of people out there who like that but I feel like James Gunn has always been more successful doing that stuff without a budget. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he's done anything nearly as interesting as his early work well, isn't it in his like, last 10 years. Isn't it like 15 years since like Super was released recently or something like that? Um, it, was an, it was an anniversary like this week of Super being released. And it was something like 15 or something years, uh, maybe more. But 2008, I think Super was. But he talks about maybe like yeah, 13 years. He talks about that film um, being like how they had no budget for that film and how he had to be kind of wily to make it. And actually, I think that works for that film. Like, mm-hmm. I think Super is a really, really good film. But if you look at things like Slither, Slither's a much better film than anything he's done since. And I, I'm just of the opinion that. I think he's a director who really works better with restricted budgets in the way that I think people who come from horror just understand that in order to be more creative, you have to have a restricted budget because it then forces you into creative solutions to problems that are budgetary concern. So, I mean, look, this movie isn't for me. I'm appreciative of that. Mm. It's done absolutely nothing to entice me, so I've decided yeah. I will stay away from it. I, I think, and I'm sure for people who want this, it will be exactly what they want. My, and I'm sure for people who want the David Ayer cut, it won't be what they want. My side to idiots. what you just said about James Gunn, though, is what I like about him is he's obviously somebody with a lot of love for a lot of history of the comics. Like mm-hmm. he loves kind of all these kind of weird stuff and he's not afraid to put that on screen. Mm. And I kind of like that, but there is somebody who's there going, you know, he doesn't seem just like a director plonked into a role to paint them by numbers. It seems like he does have the control and he does have a vision um, of what he wants to do with it. Yeah. And it's quite nice to have that on screen, but I do agree with what you're saying. I think when he is restricted, he does work well. Mm. Um, but yeah. Okay, reviews. We get into some reviews. Long old episode. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, okay, so do you want to do the TV stuff first? Yes. Okay, so um, um, Harley what? Quinn is basically a, I don't want I don't want your future. Yeah, so that's is it currently premiering its third series? Um, about to. Yeah, I've only seen all of series one. So this so is I'm, Harley Quinn. This is a, a DC thing that's premiered through oh it's just moved to hbo max in the states yes. actually yeah so i caught up with it because i'd heard good things about it um so this is katie cuoco as uh, harley quinn but it has like this incredible voice cast um i'm gonna try and remember some names lake bow alan tudyk um jb smooth tony hale ron funches uh jason alexander some really great kind of voice work in here and basically, it's Harley Quinn um, 
breaking off with the Joker, realising that he's kind of holding her back and wanting to be something bigger in Gotham, wanting to be kind of the top dog and how she happens to do it. Um, I think it's really funny. It's it's R-rated. It's very kind of gory, very sweary. Um, but that kind of adds into the chaos of it all. Mm-hmm. Like it's a series that is chaotic. Um, because it's animated, it means they can do some really kind of fun stuff with it. Um, but it also doesn't, it's not afraid to kind of shine a light on like B grade characters. Like Kite Man is a is a huge part of this series, mm-hmm. um, which is a character that will never get play on a film. That like, you'll never see him in a film. Yeah. Um, so it's allowing itself to kind of play with that kind of stuff. But actually, it's a story of kind of how Harley is getting over kind of heartbreak, but also forming some kind of kinship with um, Poison Ivy, in a way that they are now just kind of two friends which is something she hasn't had um mm-hmm. which is actually a really nice kind of undercurrent alan tudyk is incredible as like so many roles but his clay face as this kind of like thespian actor is brilliant um and this is a series that gives us a really good king shark mm-hmm. um as this kind of like tech techno geek kind of shark um who is also you know a half man half shark mm-hmm. um yeah, it's a lot of fun. If you like any of the DC, like if you like DC stuff, um, but you don't mind something being a bit weird, a bit kooky, and a bit fun, um, and having fun with itself, this is definitely something to enjoy. Uh, I think the end of the first series is really good. Mm-hmm. Um, like even like musically and everything as well that it uses is really strong, and maybe kind of just jump straight into series two. Yeah, but yeah, I'm really really enjoying it. Um, yeah, late 2021, according to the internet, for the premiere of the third series. Yeah. So that will be coming out. Yeah, so that's now moved to HBO Max, it looks like. It was previously on DC Universe, which is apparently a network. It was. <laughs> yeah. Um, very. Oh, okay, yeah. And it was announced that it was closing. Okay. <laughs> cool. <laughs> um, I think it all went to HBO afterwards. Yeah. Um, ah, They've announced that the service will be relaunched as DC Universe Infinite, solely a digital comic subscription service. Yes. Oh, this is similar to the Marvel thing that you were talking about. Exactly. Yeah, I'm looking forward to when that actually happens. Cause... So it's going to be like a archive of basic you can then access for a subscription mm. fee. So any... the Marvel one is like it was like nine ninety nine, mm-hmm. and they've got like thirty thousand comics on there. Um, but you can basically just read all the way back through the history of all their stuff. Okay. Um, and I think DC are basically offering the same thing. Hmm. Cool. Uh, right, so that is that. Uh, the other TV thing. Other TV thing. Invincible. From the Book of Saw. Um, is on Amazon Prime. Uh, that's actually what the Wikipedia page says. <laughs> yeah, I just it edited Last it. edited by Andy Hughes. Um, so Invincible is a series, um, another animated series about superheroes. This time it's a kid called Mark, um, who's voiced by Stephen Yun. Um Basically, it's asked the question of what would your life be like if your dad was Superman? Mm-hmm. Um, and it goes from there, pretty much. And J.K. Simmons is in this as the dad, but it's also got, once again, a huge cast of really great voice actors. Yeah. Um, and it's a series basically goes, Mark gets these powers and has to grow up. Like He's grown up knowing he's going to get powers at some point. And at the age of 18, he gets them. And how does that change his life? But it isn't just that. Instead, there's a whole story about, you know, a group of superheroes are murdered. 
and how did that happen how did that come about and what does that do to the rest of the world and how do they deal with that it's one of those that seems very much kind of like it's it's visual style is very much kind of Saturday morning cartoon mm-hmm. and I love it like I think it's really well animated I think it's a start of like a lot of car- new kind of cartoons and a lot of new animation is very much kind of Rick and Morty style mm-hmm. in that kind of um, I think there's a term for that type of animation mm-hmm. um, and I think that's kind of the current trend of animation at the moment having something like this which is it almost seems like very kind of hand-drawn Saturday morning cartoons it takes me back to a feeling of watching those kind of things when I was a kid um, but then because it has and it it fills you with that sensibility for most of the first episode and then at the end of the episode it goes to a place where it does something with the story that you don't expect mm. and you get a real flavour for what this series is. The first four episodes are out on Amazon now and the first three were up last week, the new one came this week, and it's great. Like, it's really solid stuff. Like, it was written by Robert Kirkman who did The Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not afraid to kind of go to places that you wouldn't expect it to. Mm-hmm. Um, I know there's some really good stuff in the future um, that I know of in the comics but if it touches on will be really kind of impactful um, and really interesting um, but yeah I think if you're looking for something superhero-y a bit like the boys on Amazon where it's superheroes but it's also a little bit a little bit off kilter at the same we time we do things a little differently around here yeah and you know I think these are the kind of shows that are interesting to make now because mm-hmm. we all know what a superhero show is mm-hmm um, and we'll be going on to one in a minute mm. of kind of like what our expectations are oh, of yes, a superhero show. Completely forgot about that. Um, so doing something that isn't quite the norm yeah. is great. And this Invincible, I think it does it really well. And I think it's really great having that many good performers in it. How is Andrew Rannells of The Prom? Who's he playing it? He plays William Clockwell, Mark's best friend and confidant. Oh, he's appeared in like... A couple of scenes. I didn't mm. realize that was Andrew Reynolds. Um, Oscar winning from the prom. <laughs> I like Andrew Reynolds. We we think he's the best thing in the prom. <laughs> um, Which must mean he's good. So Invincible's just gone up, a, gone up another notch now. Over it's him. Well, now they've got all the Reynolds they, freaks on board. They've got the Goggins in there. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, okay, so that's that. Uh, yeah, final segment for this week before we get on to movie news. Sorry, movie reviews. We've done the news. Thank God. We don't have time for that again. Uh, new segment. Returning segment. Yes. Second time. Uh, I've got to work out how far away. Falcon! Watch! <laughs> okay, it's um, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier time. So, talking about Invincible um, being something that is a little bit different to what you expect. Mm. Falcon and Winter Soldier is pretty much exactly as expected. Okay. So, I talked about the first episode. Being you said last time it was unexpected. Doing stuff that I thought was more interesting. Yes. Two and three has gone very much into kind of, this is what I thought this series would be. Sure. And it is very Marvel. I think uh-huh. it at times touches on elements that I think is interesting. Mm-hmm. Like, um, you saw, you probably, I think you did see the second episode where um, the Falcon Sam yes. finds out that there's a superhero that has been hidden from the public. Mm. Um, that means a lot yeah. to a lot of people, or would have meant a lot yeah. to a lot of people. Um, and I think when it touches on things like that, that's really interesting. Mm. It's really interesting seeing kind of what does this new Captain America look like, and what would that mean for the world? Mm-hmm. Um, 
But at times, it also is just bog standard Marvel. Yes. And they brought back Zemo. Um, and it's very interesting to see what they're doing with his character. I like Daniel Brawl. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think his interaction with the other players in the series is very interesting. Um, and I like that. Mm. But at times, while the writing for that is really good, some of the writing in this series is really bad. Yeah. Um, which is a shame because I think WandaVision was pretty solidly written mm. the whole way through. In this, it seems like... I've seen people say, oh, it seems like it's kind of the C story of a main film uh, yeah. that they're trying to flesh out. And I kind of understand that. I like what they're doing. Mm. And I like seeing these characters. But it does seem a bit rushed mm. or a bit uneven at times. But it is great seeing, you know, there are places that we, like, we see a location in this third episode that is a Marvel location um, that's completely fictitious, but we see it realised as this actual place. And it looks great. Mm. Um, and it's great to see that kind of stuff. But then, and you know, the action's still great. But some of the writing in it is a bit kind of iffy and a bit all over the place. Mm. Um, and is also doing this thing where, like, I think they went from Thanos going, oh, we like it with our villains. You could kind of agree with them. Yeah, and in this you kind of agree with the villains, and then in the third episode they do something to kind of be like, "Oh yeah, yeah," but you're meant to remember these are the bad guys. Yeah, um, yeah it's a bit uneven at the moment. Mm. I'm, I'm liking it enough, and it has those vibes of like Winter Soldier and about about it, where it's kind of like this bit, yeah. of, bit of kind of griminess. But I kind of wish that what I got from that first episode continued. Mm-hmm. I think maybe I just wanted a drama. <laughs> Okay. Um, maybe a drama set about two guys just trying to readjust with reality. Release the Hughes cut. Release release the Hughes cut. Um, release the Warner Brothers cut of Falcon and Winter Soldier. Um, but yeah, I'm going to... It's halfway through. Um, yeah, it's only a six-part series, this one, isn't it? Yeah. So. A new character appears at the end of the third episode, or at least a returning character from previously in the Marvel Universe, mm. who's really interesting to see kind of how that plays into it. Mm-hmm. Because it's... When they appeared, I went... Why are they here? Oh, I know why they're here. Mm-hmm. Um, which means things could get exciting. So by the time I next speak about it, we'll be, what, five episodes in. Um, yeah. So we've just got the finale to go. So we'll see kind of where that leads us. Mm. And yeah. we'll be doing a spoiler episode, probably. Uh, maybe. Well, I'm you've not, not going to be on it. You've so not watched it, so fine. probably not. <laughs> um, okay, so let's do some movie reviews. Um, I'll run through a couple. you got some stuff to talk about. Relatively quickly, yeah. Uh, so, Slacks, which is a Canadian horror comedy, um, which is available on Shudder currently. Um, certainly in the yeah, US, UK, Ireland, Australia, New Zealand, and then everywhere else. Who knows? Um, so, this is a really sort of... I think a, a pretty creative way of doing a relatively low-budget movie uh, based, about, based around the idea of killer genes. Um, I would say... You know, in terms of, I, I think it, it manages to create this sort of. It, so it's essentially it's set in this um, sort of uh, very hippie kind of cool, trendy clothing store that's about to have its um, launch of this new gene that makes you either look or uh, look. Basically, they you buy these genes and they'll fit you no matter what your body shape is. Yeah. They they react to you. Um, but there's something wrong with this batch that have come in overnight, and this launch might not go as well as you'd hoped. 
Uh, it's, you know, pretty gruesome. There's a lot of bloodshed. Mm-hmm. Um, but for sort of a low-budget horror movie, it gets the job done. I think it, it has fun with its premise. It's a film that's, you know, that's fully aware that it is a film about possessed genes. Um, and that's kind of what you get from it. And I think there's some really creative stuff in it. Um and it, you know, it, it gets the job done. It's there if you want. Like you'll know if you're in the mood for a horror comedy about killer genes, basically. Which is the better killer clothing film, mm. slacks or in fabric? In fabric's a better film, but this is just you know this is never trying to do what in fabric tried to do. Yeah. Whereas this is you know this is from its outset this is a horror comedy mm. in. A much more comedic sense than it is a horrific sense um but yeah it gets the job done so that is available on shudder now um wherever you haven't got shudder i don't know what's happening with it so sorry guys <laughs> um then also on shudder this week uh is violation which is a sort of it's a revenge thriller that's more about the trauma of living with an event uh, and the the sort of fallout of that, then it, you know, it's it's equally about that than it as it is about the actual revenge edge of it. Mm. This is a really great film. I I really like it. So it's written and directed by Madeline Sims Fewer and Dusty Mancinelli, and starring Madeline Sims Fewer in the central role. And I think so. She plays this woman who. There is a there's a horrific event that happens, and it plays out as two different timelines. Sort of, it splits across those two different timelines. So, one is the events running up to and involving that event, and then one timeline is then the repercussions, the fallout of that. Okay. Um, I think it's one of the best examples of how to take a a genre like the revenge thriller, you know, and and really do something quite inventive with it in terms of the way you approach it and try and ground it in some degree of normalcy. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate we're talking about, you know, surviving trauma and things like that. So normalcy depends on circumstance. So yeah. everyone's idea of normalcy will be different. But in a way that things like... Um, you know, I spit on your grave was very much. I think it really felt like it was told from, particularly the remake. I feel was told from a very sort of male perspective of, oh well, this, but also you know, we're telling it from the male gaze. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of what I think is really interesting about this film is that it approaches this subject that is horrifying to watch, and it's an uncomfortable watch. I'll give you that, and uh, you know. If if you want to watch it, you'll know you want to watch it. I think. Yeah. Um. But this this really is an uncomfortable watch, but it deals with it in a really, uh, I, I think, a really smart and really um, accomplished way. I it's up there with the t- best stuff I've seen this year so far, just because I think it approaches it in a way that doesn't feel like it's derivative of anything. It doesn't feel like it's trying to trade in on. It's never. It's never being dragged into the exploitative side of mm-hmm. revenge thrillers. It is more interested in the emotional side effects and the journey of the victim in terms of 
what yeah just uh, i don't want to say too much because i don't want to give anything away and i feel like there is there's a really great film here that needs to be seen and it you know it, it won't be seen by a huge amount of people i think shudder have done really well to pick this up and give it a platform i think it's a film that really will now be able to reach a decent audience particularly in these weird times where i think if it had been a normal cinematic release it might have got released on a few cinemas but you're not mm-hmm. you're probably not talking more than 24 cinemas in the uh, 25 cinemas in the uk or something so i'm glad that it's got a relatively worldwide audience now yeah um i would really recommend people check this out so if this is they on are yes yeah, so this is also on shudder it's called violation this is a would recommend slacks it's a that'll do pig yeah um just remember that i didn't actually give you a rating <laughs> on that one but yeah violation is a would recommend i really really like this film um one more and then we'll no in fact i'll just steamroll through the rest of mine and then we'll get on to the big one of the week <laughs> i just realized <laughs> Um, so, Wrong Turn. Um, so, this is the reboot of the Wrong Turn franchise, which began in 2003, maybe? Um, yeah, I want to say, yeah, let's say 2003. Um, 100% right, 2003. So, Alan B. McElroy, who wrote the original Wrong Turn in 2003, has come back to write this, which is interesting in itself in that you kind of think, well, it's odd that you get the original writer coming back to reboot mm. their series. It doesn't really happen. Why have you done this? And the, <laughs> it turns out the reason why they've done this is because it essentially it changes quite fundamentally the entire series. So Wrong Term was a series where the first one was released in cinemas and then none of the sequels were. They mm. were all direct-to-DVD. And I think there's only one of the sequels that is worth any time, which is the one that, um, I think it was number two. It was directed by, mm, no, I, I know who I it was got, directed by, and I'm trying to remember his surname. It was Joe something, but anyway, it doesn't matter. But that one was the only one that was worth anything. The rest of them were all sort of exploitation mm. trash. So gone is this idea of there being hillbilly cannibals. So that's what who, I was about to say. What is wrong turn? So, so the original wrong turn was based on this sort of this kind of Appalachian nightmare of um, hillbilly inbred cannibals um, picking off these sort of millennial yuppies. I suppose they weren't millennial at that point. Yeah. They were whatever they were, um, but picking off these yuppies one by one and torturing them and it was sort of around the same time that things like cabin fever had the hills dropped. have eyes is like that i think yeah so yeah it, it borrowed a lot from the hills have eyes i've seen that one have you seen the remake i'm guessing maybe 2006 i, s- I saw one of them have you seen one that was from the 1970s probably not <laughs> yeah you would remember if you'd have seen the first one i think so, yeah, it was around the same time as things like Cabin Fever, and then obviously Hostel came along afterwards and Saw and things mm-hmm. like that. So it was in that... It's slightly a precursor to the torture porn, I would say. Yeah. Uh, but it kind of falls in that camp with some of the stuff it was What's trying the to do. term you use? Gornography, yeah. which is a better which term, like actually. Um, so what they've done here is they've gone, okay, well, we're going to keep, keep the same setup roughly. So you've got this bunch of kids fresh out of college who are hiking the Appalachian Trail 
and they arrive in town and and they're told oh look you know when you're hiking just stay to the path make sure you don't go off the marked path because it's very important that you don't do that because these woods can be unforgiving you can find all sorts of stuff here they antagonize some of the locals and then Mm. guess what they walk off the path of course uh and bad things start befalling them now I think what I think what they've done that is smart is got rid of that sort of hillbilly cannibal thing because I don't think that worked in you know I think that was their that actually ended up becoming the thing of that series yeah. was that those the three cannibal characters from the first film then became sort of in the same way that Freddy or Jason becomes the protagonist of the latter series mm-hmm. entries in their own franchises those cannibals then became the stars of this. So what you've done here is you've actually, you've flipped on its head and gone, well, actually, we're going to try and do a bit more with these characters, these young characters. And they're given some backstories that sort of explain what they're useful for and what what their skills are. But essentially what you've done is they've, they've managed to try and make something that is fundamentally quite different to the source material, and I think for the better, and I think it, it is a better made film, therefore, than even the first one of those mm. wrong turn original series. And I think it kind of, you know, if you're looking for something that is going to give you, okay, it's not groundbreaking, it's not revolutionary, but you're going to, you're probably going to have an okay time with it. It doesn't really overstay its welcome. I think it's fine. Yeah. I think it's a that'll do pig, but it's, it's interesting that you've come back to this franchise and clearly the writer has gone, I want to do this again because it no longer works in that same way. And I I think genuinely, if it it was a case of they tried to make that same film again, beat for beat, it wouldn't work. Mm. I think it's very much a product of the early 2000s, and I don't think you can really do that again. (laughs) So they've tried to make it for a 2021 audience, and it kind of gets the job done. It's, It's nothing groundbreaking, and, you know, I would say if you're interested in it, if you're, and if you're looking for, the stuff that was in the first series, mm-hmm. you're not going to find it here. So if you're someone who's a fan of that original series who really wants to see that kind of thing again, you're not going to get it. Yeah, that's that's kind of the interesting thing is you're trying to subvert the expectations of maybe the only people who will be interested in seeing <laughs> the seventh Wrong Turn movie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's available to uh, to rent on streaming services currently now. Um, First one to get a um, cinematic release since that first one. It got a one-day release in cinemas in the US. Wants it eligible for Oscars as well. <laughs> Maybe. Um, I have to check and see if it is. I mean, I'm not going to give it any potential <laughs> nominees, but whatever. Um, so, moving on. A documentary called Assassins, which came out at the beginning of the year, uh, and then I've caught up with now. It's on Sky Cinema. Um, so this is a film that sort of follows the, I think it was 2017, the assassination of Kim Jong-un's half-brother, Kim Jong-nam, um, which took place in an airport in Malaysia. <laughs> really fascinating story. These two women were sort of recruited to... So they thought what they were doing was they were taking part in a game show. like a Sorry, a prank show. Yes. And they were approached by a group of guys and they did some pranks and, you know, it all sort of built up into... And then they their last prank is this thing in an airport where they 
so they go up behind people and they put their hands over their eyes, mm-hmm. like a sort of guess who game or whatever. But their target in the final episode that they were shooting was Kim Yong Nam, and they, you know, completely unbeknownst to them, who he actually was, and it's kind of an interesting story in that he'd been he'd been sort of. Uh, sidelined when Kim Jong-il passed away and was seen as not being a suitable successor to him. And Kim Jong-un mm. came to power. And there's there are various arguments about whether he or the people around him were aware that he was potentially someone who could upset the apple cart, who, who maybe held a few friends in still relatively high places mm. within the North Korean regime. And it's really fascinating watching this thing and just seeing this evolution of this story. It's it's bizarre. It's one of those stories where you're going, I cannot believe that this is real. Yeah. And it's yeah, it's kind of a, it's it's a really interesting story about the you know these these women who are taken advantage of from a point of view of oh, well, you know, it looks less suspicious if we're trying to frame this as this, you know, prank show thing, and Mm -hmm. that's our angle into it, and this is how we're going to pull it off. But also, you know, that idea of using these people as pawns rather than as human beings, you know, and I I think it's a really interesting documentary. Um, So it's available on Sky Cinema. I, you know, I would recommend. I think it's a really interesting watch. Finally, before we get on to the major thing of this week, uh, the night really making you wait this week, guys. <laughs> so the night is a psychological horror uh, directed by Kura Shahari, um, and ba- so it's it's uh, number one. I'll tell you this now: it's in Farsi. So you know, if you like your Iranian horror movies, you're gonna like this. I think we all know where this one's going on Alex's list. <laughs> um, look, it, it's I like it. I'll, I'll tell you this now. Uh, so it's an Iranian couple who um, who have their young child with them, sort of, you know, not even a toddler, a baby, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, for circumstances, they have to book into a hotel. Um, and they book into this hotel, and they are then plagued throughout the night with apparitions, hallucinations. Maybe they're real, maybe they're not. Um and it's a film that sort of leans into the it definitely you know there there is definitely something of the shining about some of it mm-hmm. i think uh, you know you know the hotel setting is part of that but it's also about confronting the demons of your past it's it's about sort of uh owning your own legacy and what you've what you've done in your life yeah um and i think it's you know it's it's kind of it kind of works in a way that I didn't necessarily know it was going to. Um, they're really... It's a stripped-down movie, you know. It's not a huge cast, but it's its atmospheric in a way that I wasn't necessarily expecting it to be and really gives off a very... It's a very eerie movie for a lot of the runtime. And I think it works. The, the sort of twist into... There's a couple of conventional tropes that are thrown mm-hmm. in there that you kind of... You know, I don't know if you if there's a way to do it where they don't necessarily exist in this, but I think for the most part they still work. 
but the twists and the turns work well enough and i think there is some really good visual storytelling in here i really like this film i mean it's i don't think it's it's not up there with my top stuff of the year at the moment but i do oh, well, it's in the top stuff of the year but it's not mixing with mm. say minari which is out this week by the way and people should check it out um but yeah i really i really enjoyed it i think from again from another first time director i believe it's just you know i think Tip it's really all of the alexson bingo cards farsi <laughs> <laughs> it's first time detector <laughs> director detector. Uh, minimalist in top films of the year yeah i yeah i think it I think it's I think it's really accomplished and I think it gets the job done. If you want a film that's going to fill you with sort of eerie dread, I think it, I think it's this film. I think it does really well. Uh, so it's called The Night. It's available to rent on um streaming platforms now. Um and I'd recommend you do it. It's, it's yeah, I I would recommend. It. It's good. I like this. Of course I like of course this. You do. this is it's right up my alley. Like they've got a picture of you on that on that drawing board. Like, it's not often you get your own drawing board, but they found one. It's good, okay? It's good. Of course there's one for you. Godzilla I, versus Kong. I'm really glad, but I, I was going to watch something new last night, and I decided not to. <laughs> I was like, oh no, I'm just going to carry on playing Final Fantasy until the early hours. How's Final Fantasy? Having a great time. Final Fantasy X. We, we haven't got time for this. Okay. Um, but yeah, decided not to watch something, which is good. Because it means okay. that finally we can talk about Godzilla vs. Kong. Kong. Why don't you speak for a bit? Um, a film where basically, so this is a sequel to Godzilla: King of the Monsters, um, and also technically Kong Skull Island. It's like the fourth film of the MonsterVerse, where basically um, they need to get Godzilla to go to the Hollow Earth, which definitely exists in this universe. Yeah, um, because they need to get some kind of power from this. Um, but Godzilla is also out there, and he's doing bad things. He's killing people and he's destroying things. But also. If he realizes Kong's out, he's gonna have to fight Kong because because they're both nature. apex. Yeah, you kind of two apex predators. So a lot of apex predators in cinema. Uh, Cheetah from <laughs> Wonder Woman eighty four. Godzilla Kong. Yeah, yeah, Cheetah. Cheetah was also there, and she died very quickly. Um, this is the same universe from the book of Wonder Woman. <laughs> but yes, so then Godzilla finds Kong and yes. punches off throne, and then they find more reasons for them to fight. At the same time, a lot of human nonsense is going on that also doesn't really affect anything. Is that pretty much... Yeah, pretty much. I think think you've covered it, yeah. A lot of returning cast from the previous ones. Um, Is there? Yeah, like Millie Bobby Brown's in it. Millie Bobby Ron Livingston. Kyle Chandler, not Ron Livingston. Same person in my head. Okay. What what other returning cast? In my head, they are the same person. Because that's it. Um, Yeah, that might be it. A lot of returning Godzilla. cast, too. Oh, yeah, sorry, Kong. yeah. Godzilla and Kong as themselves. Um, <laughs> yeah, Skull all crawlers. Of them, all of them coming back. Uh, like I said, a lot of returning characters. Yeah, from yeah, you were right. Uh, a lot of them are returning. But a lot of, a lot of new characters are our guys. <laughs> more, Arguably, more new characters than old. Well, yeah, because there's a lot of extras. But in terms of size, obviously, Godzilla and Kong, biggest. Yeah. So... But you know, you got like they outweigh new characters. What, Eliza Gonzalez, Eliza Gonzalez, uh, Damian Bashir, Lance Reddick for a, about a minute. Is he? Uh, Julian Dennison. <laughs> Where's Lance Reddick? 
Um, he is the monarch executive. So when they get to, spoiler alert, Hong Kong, not that that's a spoiler it's, alert. There's a picture of it in the poster. Okay, well then we're fine. Um, yeah, when he gets to Hong Kong, Kyle Chandler meets up with him and he's like, they're destroying the city. It's why, like, yeah, no shit, mate. Why get Lance Reddick for that role? <laughs> Lance um, Reddick likes to work. So yeah, it's a film about two monsters punching, punching for a bit. Um, so, where I fall on this. Mm-hmm. This is a film that I was really excited for because I love big monster movies. But I also thought Godzilla King of the Monsters is real trash. And we watched it again before this, and it's still real trash. I can't wait for people to listen to our episode next week where we discuss the monster verse in full. Um, It'll be shorter than this episode. But I think, for me, mm. I think a lot of the human stuff is really bad mm-hmm. in this film. Like, the whole Millie Bobby Brown side story about her meeting a podcaster um, to save the world. We love a film where a podcaster is in I'm, it. I'm glad that we're finally getting our Jews. Um, you know, I think that's... I'm annoyed good. that they didn't cast us. Every time it goes back to that side story, yeah. the story, the film slows and is awful. Yeah. And I just want to be past that. Um, the other side story of the other humans, I didn't mind as much because I think Rebecca Hall is really good in this, as is... I don't know the name of the child actor. You might yes, have it there. Uh, let me bring that up now because that is important. Yeah, uh, I think she's the best part of this film. Um, give me two seconds. Sorry, this is... Why is this taking... Oh, that's why. They've listed it right at the end here. I <laughs> uh, oh no, hang on. Why are they not even listed? Ah, Kaylee Hottle. Yes. So Kaylee Hottle plays um, a deaf child who um, forms a bond with Kong. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically is able to communicate with him. And it's important that, you know, she is deaf herself from a deaf community and she plays this role in a really expressive way. I think she is the most interesting part of this film. Yeah. Um, but then you've also got, like, another side story of other humans doing shady, shady things in the background, but also that company also making people go to the hollow earth and all of this human stuff is just really boring and i just really want to get to the monsters fighting Mm -hmm. and when i get there i have a world full of fun Mm. like the first fight scene that's in the trailer um between godzilla and kong which is them and a load of navy boats um and it's at sea is great i had so much fun I was mm-hmm. smiling during the whole thing. And then like they find a reason for them to come back together again at the end and fight again. And that stuff is great. There's and there's a there's a part of me that's really upset that I didn't get to see this in the cinemas. Mm-hmm. Because those kind of fights are incredibly cinematic. They are huge scale and the cinema experience is where you should be appreciating that. Mm-hmm. And there's some really inventive stuff in there of the way that Kong fights in comparison to Godzilla and how he can hold his own in that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Because Godzilla is this crazy, like, wrecking ball of force. Um, I think there are problems in that, and I think there are problems and things to probably discuss about kind of how often Godzilla can use its radioactive breath, for example, because mm. it's different to kind of how it's previously been told to us. But if I'm looking at this as a film where I go, did I have fun because the monsters punched each other for a bit and was that exciting? Yes, it was. I had fun with it. And actually, last night I went, and instead of watching a new film, 
I just watched the fight sequences of this film again mm-hmm. um, because I enjoy them. And when I go back to this film again, probably would at some point. Mm. Like, I had fun. It's not the best film of the year, but I had fun. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what I came into it hoping for when I come out of it going, is there, is there a fun time to be had in there somewhere? Yes. Mm-hmm. And I realised... It's not fun for everyone. I realise, like, for example, this film ain't made for you. Mm-hmm. Um, there's literally zero Farsi in this film. I checked. <laughs> um, but yeah, you you say why you think so, it's bad. <laughs> well, look, okay, so number one, yeah, you're right. You know, the human stuff is, you know, it is expositionary at best. Mm-hmm. You know, these are not... Other than uh, Kaylee Hartle, who I think is by far the best thing in this film, the only really redeeming quality of the cast, as it were. Mm. I don't count Kong and Godzilla in the cast, don't worry. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think she's terrific, and it's a shame that there isn't more of a thing for her to do here, because I think her her interactions are the best thing about the film. from a from a sort of script point of view, it is all over the place. Mm-hmm. And I think when you've got a story done by three people and then the screenplay then adapted from that by two other people, you're never probably going to get a real clean idea of how you're going to construct this. And there are too many threads trying to go on which are completely unnecessary. Yeah. Give give me an intertitle card that just says a baddie is doing this thing because of this. Well, for example, the so um, the Carl Chandler stuff, yeah, doesn't need to be there because he does nothing in no. this film. But Foxy, the mini bottom ground stuff, what does that actually teach you? Like you could do that in a different way. You yeah. didn't need that in there at all. That's already two side stories gone. Yeah, um, you're already minimalizing kind of the amount of faff you need to do in this film mm-hmm. because there is a lot of faff. Yeah. Um, look, this is the. So, I'll probably get into this in more detail next week on the episode mm-hmm. where we're, we're discussing the whole monster verse. But the problem for me is this is a film that lacks any personality. Mm-hmm. Even when you get to the fights, I feel they are pretty bland in terms of their approach. Now, what I'd say is it's better than Godzilla King of the Monsters because I think, I mean, that was. There was too much fighting. Mm-hmm. And the fights, because they just kind of went from scene to scene, from fight to fight, it felt so repetitive. Yeah. Whereas this one has, I guess, three or four main fights that happen within it, and that kind of works better. Mm-hmm. Um, but hey, who knew that you didn't need to have five different monsters in a movie to <laughs> all battle each other? Um, I mean, the, the problem that I have with it still boils down to the fact that I think okay, yes. If you if you'd have put this on the cinema screen and I was watching it on the cinema screen, I think I would have got a hell of a lot more out of those fight scenes than I did in this mm-hmm. version. And I would be relatively interested to just see the fight scenes within their their own context on the big screen. Yeah, I won't do it when it opens there because I I've got to sit through the whole fucking film again. And I'm not going to do that. So, well, in- it helps. I think it starts about 36 minutes in as the first fight. So, so you can turn up to it late. So, yeah, I mean, that, you know, I think from that stuff, it just feels like there's no... What I really... 
this is this is say, more stuff for next say what week. You mean. Well, no, because I, I'll get into this in proper detail next week. But fundamentally, I think that Godzilla from 2014 and Kong Skull Island work in ways that the two follow-ups haven't for a couple of reasons. One, I think the fact that there is less going on in terms of the monster fights is better. Mm-hmm. Two is that they both have distinct personalities in terms of what film they are trying to be. Yeah, The next two have devolved into relatively bland punch-ups, which is... I think, you know, if you're here for a monster punch-up, you do get those. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they're, you know, I would rather watch the monster punch-ups from Godzilla 2014 or from Kong Skull Island because I think they are done better. I think they're orchestrated better in those films. However, I can appreciate that for some people, they will be going into this going, I don't care about any of the other stuff surrounding it. I just want to get to those scenes, in which case watch the supercut that you're going to release. Um, and I think those those scenes work well enough, but I'm never I was never blown away by them. Yeah. And I think ninety percent of that is because it's on the small screen, and I don't think these films are films that travel particularly well from uh, an IMAX thing down to a even a large TV. Yeah doesn't really do them the justice they need to have done. And my problem is, if those aren't grabbing me in the same way that they would in the cinema, then I am just bored by it. Yeah, and I agree in a way that it does lose something from that thing. Um, And I do think that these films are pretty much always weighed down by the fact that there's need to have human characters in there that do human things that tie the whole thing together and that's always the least interesting part and it makes me go can you kind of shave parts off that to make us just get to the interesting stuff more often yeah, what's interesting is the shortest one of these four I do think that this film is inventive in the way that those fights are constructed there are stuff that happen in there that they use because they can use it with the characters they've got you know the the they've shown that Kong is a smart aggressor sort of thing like mm-hmm. he's he's able to use tools but he's also able to kind of use his environment in different ways and putting him into different places and there are things that he does in that fight scene and watching it again i was like oh yeah i forgot that that's pretty cool mm-hmm. um for me i completely agree with you like i think there is a better film that could have been made mm-hmm. um here i think you know focusing on maybe the characters that are interesting and finding a different way to get them together. Well, I think that... So the interesting thing is that I think that Adam Wingard works best when he's working with Simon Barrett, who wrote um, Your Next and The Guest, right? I think without him, he really feels like he's someone who doesn't really have a voice of his own. Mm -hmm. So as a director here, he's trying to direct something that's been written by a bunch of different people, including the director of the last movie. Yeah. And then not able to put his own voice into it because I actually think his voice is Simon Barrett's voice rather than his. Mm -hmm. And I think that's fundamentally a problem with Adam Wingard is that I think if you separate him from Simon Barrett, he's completely ineffectual in terms of trying to create any sense of personality. And I suppose the difference is, especially I think the main one you look at here is Skull Island. Mm -hmm. Jordan Voight Roberts has his stamp all over that film. Yeah. And that film is probably my favourite of the four. 
But um, also, if you look at Gareth Edwards' work on Godzilla, Gareth Edwards is someone who fundamentally understands monster movies. Monsters is the best monster movie of the last 50 years. Mm-hmm. And yet, because of, the, because of the fact that he understands how to do that, it sets such a high bar for the franchise yeah. that is continued by Jordan Vote Roberts because he goes, I want to make Cannibal Holocaust. I want to make Apocalypse Now, but have Kong in it. Both of those work because they're completely separate movies that have very different sensibilities, but both know what those sensibilities are. Mm-hmm. These last two, for me, have just felt like they are completely just interchange. Oh, this is better than the last one, I'll give you that, because the last one is god-awful. King of the Monsters is one of the worst films I've seen in a long time. Yeah, And yet, I'm there thinking... Okay, yes, fine, your human characters here are very expensive and well-paid set dressing. <laughs> and that's about it. I actually cared about some of the human dynamics in the first two. And yeah, sure, it's easier to do that when you haven't got Kong in it. But you've still got other monsters in it. It's not like you've got just one monster going around being taken down by humans. Mm-hmm. They've all got other monsters in them. But they managed to do more with it. And uh, look... Maybe I'm bringing too much into this and expecting them to have some degree of personality, but that's the problem for me, is that if I'm expecting that, it's because you've set the bar high. Yeah. Those first two are really good. And I'm disappointed because I know that there is the potential to make these movies the movies I want them to be, because they've made two of them. Mm-hmm. But I'll never get that again. I know that. They won't they won't take that risk. Like it's written by committee for a reason because this film has to be what it is. It has to be this kind of by committee uh, monster fighting movie that will make lots of money. And that's what it is. They're not going to take a risk on, you know, Skull Island, they could afford to take that risk. Like, he obviously went in with his vision and went, this is what I want to do. And he went, yeah, fine, it's a Kong movie. But, but when like, they get it together, we I'm pretty sure the this. other movies were all written by committee as well, weren't they? Kong Skull Island had three different writers on it, none of which were uh, Jordan Vote Roberts. Max Borenstein, who was also one of the writers on that, was the sole writer on Godzilla. Mm. It comes from the director's sensibilities, I think, in terms of being able to instill some kind of personality. And I think fundamentally my problem is that I've found that, like, I couldn't understand the Michael Doherty link, because I think Michael Doherty is a great horror director. He knows how to direct horror and horror comedy really well. Mm. And yet, Godzilla, King of the Monsters, is just a complete mismatch, and I don't think he works in that function. And likewise, I think Adam Wingard's someone who can do well with... You know, he's someone who specializes in very gruesome... You know, you watch Your Next, and it is bloody as all hell. Mm. But he's given a really sharp script in that, that he just isn't here. And I think that's just part of the problem is that I think you're matching directors with projects that they fundamentally don't vibe with. I don't think. Yeah. And I. Well, there are there are directors who can do big budget action films. Yeah, um, but who'd have, who'd have thought that Jordan Vote Roberts, who directed Kings of Summer, was going to direct a Kong movie and do it really well? You wouldn't have put those together, and, and yet somehow the, they really that's work. Why you got to take the risk? Maybe Anna Ringard could be the next one. Okay, but <laughs> but you just said they can't take that risk anymore. No, and I think this has. I don't think this was a risk. You know, this was two monsters who've got big well, this, audiences this, fighting. This is a film that had to make money. It had to be big. And the thing is, 
Adam Wingard, for me, is probably a director they went, we can probably put him in and tell him what we want. Hmm. Like, that's what this is. For me, this film, I had more fun with this than most films I've seen this year. Mm-hmm. Because at least it's exciting. Like, I had a lot of fun with it. Um, I realise it's not the best film. And I'm very aware it's not the best film. I'm very aware there are a lot of bad elements to it. But did I have fun? Yeah, I had fun. And that's what I needed. I needed a film that allowed me to have fun. And that's what I got. And for me, that works. So your recommendation? I Yeah, fine. Fuck it, watch it. It's great. Uh, that'll do, Pig. I think like, if you want the monster movie, it's there. I would always recommend the other two above it. Oh, d- don't get me wrong. I am not saying watch this above those two. Mm-hmm. But, like, at the moment, we probably need a film like this that is... Like, it's just a bit of nonsense. Like, and it is big budget, kind of overblown. Okay, yeah, that's fine. Mm. Um, But I recommend it because I think, actually, I think there are moments of fun. And I recommend... I'm probably more recommending it from my point of view. Mm -hmm. Like, would I recommend it? Mm -hmm. Yes, I would. I'm trying to look at it it as... Would I recommend it to you? No. But I'm trying to look at it as well from that point of view of... We always say this. You took you look at it with caveats, and you look at it from you know. Does it deliver on the promise of the premise? I think it mostly does, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's successful in it all the time. And I think the stuff that doesn't work about it detracts too much from the stuff that does work about it for me. So I'm looking at it from the point of view of: Is this a monster movie where monsters punch each other? Yes. Mm-hmm. Is it the best example of that? Nowhere near. Where would I put it? That'll so do, Pete. My point point of view is for years to come will i end up just watching those those scenes that i watched last night mm. probably i will probably watch those three or four more times this year mm-hmm. um so in that point of view i think that bit is fun and mm-hmm. that is that is a great watch and i would i would and i know that you won't i would sit through the rest of that film when it comes out in the cinemas to watch those scenes on the big screen again. Okay. Um, so for me, yes. Remember this, guys. The big blow-up of 2021. <laughs> Hudson versus Hughes. We did it. We had... We One had, will fall. I hope it was all worth waiting for, guys. Sorry, just I'm just going to edit out the first 45 <laughs> minutes. Uh, as always, you can find us on Facebook, iTunes, Buzzsprout, whatever. You know, look, find us where you get podcasts. You know what we're called. Find us on Twitter at DinosaurMan15. We're also on Twitch at dinosaur, uh, twitch.tv forward slash DinosaurManPod. Yes. Andy is currently twitching, I guess. No, he's not twitching Final Fantasy. I just, no, no, I decided that people probably don't want to see that. Okay, so I'll you're twitching Yakuza and Jurassic World Jurassic Evolution. World Evolution. Uh, I'm not. Uh, I did one Twitch and it was bad and we'll never go back to it again. Um, Jordan Neves did a theme song as ever. This time, it was just two monsters roaring at each other. You were the host. Alex, you were also the host. And you did the best job. Until next time, guys. Fuck me, I guess. I said you did the best job, and you said nothing. Yeah, you did. You didn't even say thank you. You did an awful job. You know what? I'm firing you. (laughs) You know what? I think we're going to have to fight in Hong Kong. Fucking unbelievable. All right, guys. See you next week. (laughs) Boy.